when I was in seminary, um, did a lot of studying. Uh, Bob Jones culture, you know, there's really no partying. It's just you study, you sleep, you eat, you study some more if you're going to be diligent at it. And with the Lord's help, you pass the classes. So as a seminary student, I had a roommate, though, that loved playing racquetball. And racquetball was just kind of one of his things. He liked it for the exercise. Um, I knew how to play, but really hadn't played much. And, of course, we're talking the first night when he moves in, and he says, so, do you play racquetball? And I said, well, some. And he goes, we should get up early sometime and play. Well, because you study all the time, and it's not that you can just really cut out a party. It's just you're studying all the time. Getting up early is, like, really bad because you're already sleep-deprived. But, of course, you make future promises about wanting to do it at some point because that's the nice thing to do. So I tell him, okay, I'd love to do that sometime, just not now. And um, this went on for several months. And um, finally, I ran out of excuses because you can only wash your socks so many days of the week, you know. And um, I finally said, okay, tomorrow morning, we're going to get up early. We're going to go out and we're going to play. Once I drug myself out of bed, we really had a good time. He enjoyed trouncing me. And I enjoyed getting to be with my roommate, which we had a great relationship, and he taught me some really cool stuff about how to play the game. You know, all those things about, okay, when I'm moving this way, he hits the ball that way, and I hit the wall, and the ball goes that way. And I learned all sorts of good things that um, had we have continued practicing like he would have wanted to multiple mornings a week, I'd have gotten pretty good at it. But I didn't. I chose to sleep that time, and we got up and we played racquetball once. The reason I tell you that story is because we all do this thing. We avoid hardship. It was going to be hard to get up. It was going to be hard to get out of bed, to be a little bit more sleep deprived and learn how to play racquetball better. But the book of James, talking specifically about spiritual hardship, says something that is unexpected. Because you see, we Avoid hardships. But look with me at James 1, verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. That's unexpected. You see, naturally, we look at hardships and we don't like them. Let alone count it all joy joy. This is not the way we normally think about hardship, and yet joy is the biblical response to trials. We're going to look today at verses 1 through 4, or 2 through 4. 2 is kind of the overarching theme of what it's talking about, and then we're going to look at two things, point 1 and point 2, based on that. So you're going to see both of my points end with you must rejoice in trials. And we're going to look at a couple different reasons why that is the case. The first one found in verse 3 is because trials produce endurance, you must rejoice in trials. Because trials produce endurance, you must rejoice in trials. find it interesting. He starts out in verse 3 saying, knowing this. It's something we know already. It's just something we don't like to think about. It's something common to 
most of life, hardship strengthens you somehow. The same is true spiritually. You know, had I have gotten up, had I have endured the hardship of getting up early to play racquetball, I'd have been a better racquetball player. Probably still couldn't beat my roommate, but I've been better at it. He says, knowing this, it's something that we recognize, we just prefer to avoid the hardships still. Now, it says specifically, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know, faith isn't something tangible, something that you can see. We would say that we start with faith when we voluntarily change our mind and turn to choose to choose to turn to Christ. And then when we choose to walk in Christ's likeness, we are strengthening our faith. Another word I want to just focus on is the word trying, when it says that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trying is hard. It wouldn't be trying if it didn't stretch you. It is the fact that it stretches you, that it is uncomfortable, that it is trying. Something else about trying, because it is a testing you should be prepared for failure. Failure means your faith wasn't as strong as you thought it was. You can learn through the failure of trying as well because you can see where you were weak and you can grow in that. Let's go back to the beginning of that verse, though. Actually, beginning of verse 2, it says, my brethren. You know, faith is... Endurance is expected because he's starting with the assumption that you've started that relationship with God, that your faith is true. He starts out by saying, my brethren, count it all faith, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, even during hard times, you can count it joy. Because your faith is based on true faith. You know, it's that trying that shows what that faith is based on. When, um, I've always enjoyed growing plants. When I was younger, I lived out in Iowa, and we had some good soil to grow stuff in. And we had a farmer in the church that would let me have my own little plot of land for a garden. And, um, so I'd go through the seed catalogs, and I'd find the different seeds I wanted to grow. And I had a pretty good crop of corn and beans and carrots and onions and tomatoes. And I even grew things I didn't like to eat. And they were better for my garden. But um, sometimes I grew gourds and stuff and sold them to the local uh, food store for decorations and stuff. I liked growing stuff, and typically because you don't want to have less seeds than you need, I ended up with extra seeds. They all went in a drawer, and as Abby has found out, I've kept all my seeds. <laughs> and um, the packets being open sometimes mixed together. Some of those seeds look really similar. You know, just about the only way to tell what some of those seeds are is you got to plant them. You know, when you plant those seeds, you start to see what they are. 
you know, it's through the trials that you can begin to see what your faith is based on. You know, Jesus says, ye shall know them by their fruits. You know, what happens when you have hard times? What sprouts up? You know, it's really hard to say, okay, that person's saved, that person isn't saved. I can see their faith, and that's... But on the other side, you can see faith when it starts evidencing itself through hard times, when it starts evidencing itself through, can I stay awake through this message because it's based on God's word. Trials evidence your faith. James is starting with the assumption that you have true faith, and therefore, trials will produce endurance. I want to point out also that endurance is expected because it is built on God's promises. You've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the solid foundation of your faith. But look at what he says. Paul confidently says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Your strength comes from God. Be that if you are rich or if you are poor, if you have much, if you have little, is the context that Paul is talking about here. He says, I'm content. I can do all things through Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation, which is that same word trial that we're talking about here, taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be trialed above that you are able, but will with the trial also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God doesn't set up the trials for you to fail. He's given you a way to succeed. And when you're going through trials, you can hold God to his word. He has given you a way to succeed in the trial he has given you. Even though trials produce endurance, endurance isn't guaranteed. Why wouldn't you succeed? Well, the first thing is both true and fake faith are tried. Psalm 119 says, Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore I love thy testimonies. Matthew 7.22 says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, this is God speaking, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In the trial, God knows who has true faith and who does not. What an ultimate failure to live a fake life on faith, fake, fake, faith, your entire life, and then have God say, you never had what I offered freely. As a child, I was fascinated by rocks, as Abby also discovered, because someone brought in my heavy rock box when we moved down here. And um, one of the things I loved was um, gravel parking lots. You know, they have all these cool rocks in them. And um, I would hunt for hours to find the gold 
in the driveways. That is so cool. Did you know that there's gold in driveways? You could be rich if you just looked out in the driveways and found all the gold out there. But I, I remember pretty distinctly when I was about six years old, I realized there was a way to test if this gold I had found was real gold or if it was fool's gold. One of the ways you can test is, because um, of course I didn't have fires that were hot enough to like heat them down to a liquid and see if it produced any real gold, was if you take ceramic um, that doesn't have the finish, the gloss on it, and you take the rock and you scrape the ceramic, if it's real gold, it will rub off and have a gold look. If it's fake gold, it'll have a black that rubs off on it. And um, every rock I found, scraped it, it was black. I um, asked Mama and Dad if I could borrow their wedding ring just to see what it would look like with real gold, and I never understood till I got one why I wouldn't trust a six-year-old to scrape the wedding ring against ceramic. But um, <laughs> I get it now. But you know what? When I had that fake gold, no amount of processing would produce gold since it wasn't real gold to begin with. It was fake gold. Now, real faith endures. Fake faith doesn't. The trials keep coming. The fake faith keeps failing because it's not based on God's word. It's not based on true faith. In contrast to that, real faith does endure. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a finer vessel. Now, it's not saying that there was no dross to be pulled from the true faith, but there was true faith there so that when the trials happened, there was a purification process. Okay, so we've talked about trials don't necessarily bring about endurance because it could just be the wrong type of faith. Faith that's not based on God's word. Faith that's not based on what God has done somehow coming back to, I'm going to do it myself through works. I'm going to make it because it's based on me. That's fake faith. But even when you place your faith in God, we saw that there's dross that can be removed. And I found this was interesting. Endurance isn't guaranteed even if your faith is true. We need to prepare for failure. First Corinthians says uh, 10... 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Um, you know, pride is one of those things that really can get in the way as a Christian. You can begin to be convinced that what you're doing is perfect. You know, uh, why wouldn't I succeed at this? I'm, I've succeeded at everything else I've faced. And you begin to let pride get in there. And you know what? God's going to have to refine out that pride. It might just take a fail, big or small, to get you to realize you're not as good as you think you were. And even when we have true faith, Paul makes the mental picture of talking about the old man and the new man. And he says in Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Even when you're saved, it is a conscious choice to keep putting off the old man. That is when you will succeed and pass the trials. That's when you don't fail. It's possible to fail even when you have the true faith. 
even with the right head knowledge. And the trials help build your faith for the next thing that God has prepared for you. You know, this is another thing that we recognize when you put it in the physical realm. Let's say that you decide you're going to run a big race, a big race like a marathon, okay? Now, the way the marathon works is if you prepare really hard, most people are just happy to complete the marathon. That is the reward. Of course, somebody's going to win it, and those people are like insane. Those people are like unachievable, but just completing the marathon is really good. And if you don't train for a marathon and you decide you're going to run it, you're going to have a heart attack and die, okay? But let's say that you decide you're going to run this race, and you've got it figured out. You see, it's hot down in Florida. You really don't want to get out in that heat, and... Um, your house really isn't big enough to set up a track to where you can run inside. So you found We Fit at a garage sale, okay? And um, it's good for exercise. It's got to help you with this marathon, right? And you decide you're going to train for the marathon on We Fit, and you're good. You know, you start passing all your friends on We Fit. You know, you can tie these things together, and like my grandparents can play um, Wii games with other people that are not even in the same house because they can tie them together. And you start beating all your friends. You start passing world records in Wii Fit, and you're like, I am ready for this marathon, okay? Now, because you've already incorporated Wii Fit, you're comfortable with figuring out how a little bit of the technology goes. If you run this marathon with a smartphone, you can tie it in to where all of your friends that you beat on Wii Fit can watch on their computers and see how you're doing on this race. And you're so confident, you tell them, you guys need to watch this. I am going to run this marathon. Now, like good friends, of course, they all want to watch. So anyway, you end up convincing them they're going to watch. And they see the little dot at the start line, okay? They got their popcorn out. They're cheering you on, and the start dot starts to move, and they go wild. They see the dot moving. They see the dot moving. You are a quarter of a mile into the race, a half mile. You've made it a whole mile. Now, how many miles is a marathon? 26.2. Okay, so you've got a little bit to go still. But after you've made it a mile into the race, your friends suddenly become concerned because the dot stops. They really start getting concerned when after a minute or two the dot has stayed stationary. But five minutes after the dot has stopped, they drop their popcorn. Their jaw drops to the floor. They are in utter disbelief. The dot has started moving again at increased rate and makes it to the end of the, makes it to the finish line before everybody else. You see, the problem was... They find out later, you had collapsed after a mile, and the emergency vehicles had come and picked you up. You can't succeed by reading about other people's failures. You can't succeed in endurance through playing We Fit. You have to experience the hardships in preparation for the marathon. That's the only way you're going to succeed. If you don't prepare for the marathon of life, even though you have the right head knowledge, you knew you needed to prepare for that marathon. But you have to go through the hardships to where you can be ready for the next thing God wants you to do. Okay, so the first point I was talking about was because trials produce endurance, you must rejoice in trials. But it doesn't stop there, does it? 
goes on in verse 4 and says, but let patience, remember that's the thing we got from trying in the last verse, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Okay, so from verse 4, we see that there are two things that we get from the perfect work of patience. First thing we see is that trials produce spiritual maturity. That's what it's talking about when it's talking about perfect. We know that we will never reach perfection here on earth. We still have that old man inside of us. We keep striving to be more like Christ, but there's always room for improvement because we never will hit that mark until we die and go to heaven. That spiritual maturity comes through the trying. It comes when it says, but let patience have her perfect work. That word perfect both times in the verse is talking about the same thing. It's the mature work. It's the completion of the work. So when patience is going in your life, it is maturing your faith. That's a good thing. That is the reason why you can face hardship with joy. The other thing we see, though, is not only does it produce maturity, but it produces wholeness. Now, when I first was looking through this, I thought, James, why did you say these two things that may be perfect and entire? Kind of sounds like the same thing. But it's not. You see, you can be mature in one area and not in another. And a weakness in one area of your body can have a major impact on the rest of you. A couple years back, I um, sprained my ankle. You would not believe, unless if you've had an ankle sprain, how many things that dumb ankle can mess up. You know, it's like 95, 98% of the body is totally functioning. And yet that one area of weakness causes huge problems. I... Um, would propose that spiritual wholeness is the same way. It is those areas of weakness that bring down that bring you down into temptation and trouble. You can be good in most areas of your life and that's that there's that one area that when you get tried and you fail and that's the area that keeps getting hit over and over again. God does that intentionally, not the failing. He wants for you to succeed. But it is that area of weakness that will get tried over and over and over again. You know, it may be um, that you do really well at work. People know that you're a Christian. People respect you for the way that you live. Then you get home, and it's really hard. You've worked a full day. Wouldn't it be nice if everything at the house just went your way? Maybe vice versa, where things in the house go really well, but man, there's that person that you work with. You know, those coffee guys that you meet up with at Dunkin' Donuts, the just bad crowd that gets you into trouble. (laughs) But typically, there is an area of weakness, and you know what it is. And if there's 30 people in the room here, there's going to be 30 different areas of weakness. So I'll let you fill in the area. But that's the area 
that you need to work on because that is what God wants to be perfect and entire. He wants maturity in every area. About a year and a half ago, Abby started a new job, and um, it really wasn't in the same direction as my job, and we had one car. And uh, we decided that both for the sake of exercise and for um, economic reasons, I was going to get a bike and was going to bike into work. Started shopping, and I found a really cool bike. This bike is the type of bike that... um, I wanted wide tires so that I could go on both the road and the gravel because sometimes, or the grass, because sometimes the roads were busy enough I couldn't safely be on the road, but I was by the side of the road. This bike had light sensors on it so that if it saw it was getting dark, it would automatically turn on lights on the front and the back of the vehicle for me. It was cool. And um, it was pretty expensive until you try and compare it to a car, and it's like, okay, the bike is way cheaper. And um, so we got this bike. And I drove that a lot. I hitched rides when it was raining. I was very grateful to be able to work at the same spot as people that lived close by. But um, I started putting miles on this bike. It was five and a half miles each way to work. And I made the trip at least once a day. And, you know, you start putting miles on a bike pretty quickly. I had 100 miles on the bike. Then I had 200 miles on the bike. It had a little screen that would show me how many miles I'd gone on the bike. 300 miles on the bike. 400 miles on the bike. You know, I'm starting to build up endurance. I'm starting to figure out which bumps I can hit and which ones I can't comfortably. And um, there was this one bump that I almost always hit because I knew I could make it over it and it was fine. And I hit the bump, and I was at about 450 miles on this bike, and something snapped. And, of course, when you hit a bump, you kind of go down and back up, and I realized my seat was gone. The seat of the bike had snapped off the bike. (laughs) Of course, I quickly stopped, jumped off the bike, and um, it happened to be in the parking lot of the place I worked, so everybody that was out there saw my bike fall apart. (laughs) But um, what I discovered was there was a bolt holding my seat on the bike. And on this very expensive bike that I had bought for the purpose of commuting, they had put the cheapest bolt. It was a quarter-inch bolt that should have been able to stand the test of time, and after 400 miles of trials, it snapped. Why did it snap? Because it was the weakest link. And um, went down to Home Depot, and for $2, I could get a stainless steel bolt that will never be the problem again. But I didn't even know I was trying that section of the bike. I just was using the bike. But because it was the weakest part, that was the part that was being tried. And frequently that's the way it is in our lives. You know, it's not that that area is the only thing that's getting tried, but because it's the weakest area, it sure is the part that you see the trials in. And, um, you know, you've got a similar choice. You can either choose to keep replacing the cheap bolt with the cheap bolt and say, well, nothing's wrong with it. It just, you know, or you can realize, okay, my faith is weak in this area. I am failing in this area. And consequently, I'm not looking at trials as joyful because I keep failing at the same thing. You know, if you're failing at the same thing, look at what your faith is and how it is affecting you in that area. It may not change if your car's going to break down, 
because that's a physical thing that happens. But with spiritual issues, God gives a way to succeed. You can take the success that he wants to give you, but it's based on the type of faith that you have. If you're saved, trials in your life should lead to patience, should lead to endurance. That endurance should lead to spiritual maturity and spiritual wholeness. If something in that process is breaking down and you see, I'm not seeing that spiritual wholeness, I'm not seeing that spiritual maturity, trace it back. These verses show you, here's how it starts, here's how it ends. What's happening in the middle? Is it that you're letting the old man still rule part of your life? Even though you have true faith that's solid, is it that you need to strengthen your faith because you don't see why it's still happening, but it just is? Because trials are beneficial for your faith, you must rejoice in trials. Because trials are beneficial for your faith, you can rejoice in trials. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it clearly shows us what we should do in hard times. We thank you that during those hard times, you are strengthening our faith. Pray that you would help us this week as we succeed in trials to rejoice. I pray that you would help us as we fail in trials to identify why we failed and to be able to grow closer to you in Christ's likeness through it. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.